0: I have a friend in Ohio who preaches. His name is Bruce. The church that Bruce works at, serves with, has a meal that they provide for homeless people. They are an urban uh, church. It's kind of uh, a simple but yet sophisticated operation. The overwhelming portion of what they do really does rely on volunteers. And so... Uh, my friend uh, walked into the kitchen one week and there's a couple of volunteers working just kind of moving fast getting things around and one came through the door and yelled hey gasoline man wants some more <clears throat> and Bruce kind of stopped mid stride and he thought wait wait what and he turned and he looked at the volunteer and he said what, what did you say she responded back gasoline man he wants some more and he kind of caught off guard and he walked back out the door to uh, the area where they were serving and there's a man standing at the table, uh, serving table, holding his tray, waiting for somebody to come back with some more. And Bruce walks back in in the kitchen. He says, how, what, why did you call him gasoline man? And they looked at him as if there was an obvious understandable uh, explanation. Well, he smells like gasoline every single week. That's, it's gasoline, man. And Bruce walked back out and looked at the man, then looked back at the volunteers, and, the, and he said, His name is John. His name is John. His name is John. throughout all of our lives, sometimes we categorize people. We put them in verbal buckets. The homeless guy who smells like gasoline. The quiet person who's been divorced. The angry guy who's an addict. The kids of the single mom who just never seemed to be well-behaved. And on, and on, and on. Maybe it happened when we were young and we would sit at the lunch table and the quiet boy was all by himself we really didn't know anything about him, but we just picked on him because he was quiet and small. Maybe we did it when there was uh, a, uh, somebody on, the, yeah, on in the, during gym class, and that was the one person that couldn't kick the ball. And so we decided it was okay. Maybe it, it, we grew up to uh, mock the guy who showed up at work Late all the time because his car was broken down. Or had a hard time speaking. Or the person in the office who just couldn't seem to get their act together. Maybe it even happens in church when we have absolutely no knowledge or background of the person that comes walking through the door, but because of the way that they dress. Or because maybe they don't know the song, they're not that's not why they're not singing. It's not because they don't understand it or get it, but yet we categorize and we vilify. And we're certainly not any better for it. James is the book that we've been looking at in the New Testament. James is not your sophisticated academic. He's not your theological philosophy guy. He is uh, a lunch pail, blue-collar guy that speaks in very, uh, if you will, brass tack terms. If you don't know what, if you've ever heard somebody talk about getting down to brass tacks, that's just a a perspective. If anybody's ever uh, uh, redone furniture, you pull back all the all the covers and you pull back all that stuff and and you're left with just the brass tacks that nailed everything into the wood and it, it means getting down to the bare facts of the matter that's how James writes and the title of the series is real faith for real people. James is saying to you and to me, I know there are times when it's hard to live a life for Jesus, but you can do it in this world. You can have a real faith in a real world with real people, even though it's really hard. You can do this. And it comes down to resolve. It comes down to conviction. It comes down to that moment or moments in life when you say, you know what, I'm no longer going to live like this. But now I'm going to live like this. That's what this is really all about. The last two weeks, we talked about how real faith for real people can really grow. And last week we talked about the fact that faith can grow by the things that we do because it's a demonstration of how we believe. Today, uh, by looking at James chapter 2, I want us to understand that uh, when it's all said and done, real faith is healthy. It's really healthy. Today's picture of faith in many ways is anything but healthy the only stories you ever see on the news is when uh, people who attend a church do something wrong. Very rarely is there anything uh, advertised news story-wise that describes somebody doing something the right way. And that's okay in the greater scheme of things. But I want you to understand, for real people who have real faith and try to live that real faith in a real world Real faith is healthy faith. And James gives us a picture, in some ways, of what that healthy faith looks like. Let's take a look in uh, James chapter two. I've got some selected verses, if you'll follow along. Excuse me just a second. OK, James chapter two. he starts out in verse one. "My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim? to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there, just sit on the floor, well... Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how, uh, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. As I said, James doesn't really pull any punches, and he seems to kind of speak sometimes in fragments of understanding, but there are some lines that connect all of his points together. And the first thing I want you to understand about what this picture that he paints of healthy faith is that people with healthy faith see others the way that God sees them. Healthy faith has that capacity to look at other people and not necessarily see the clothes that they're wearing or the kind of clothes that they're wearing or not wearing. The uh, money that you think someone does or does not have. The status that someone does or does not have, and judge their character based upon their behavior. Healthy faith has a capacity to look past that. It, it has. It's. It's the hallmark. Uh, it's one of the initial hallmarks of who believers are, because we do not have to go far to have the opposite. I mean, we all grew up in school. We all experienced things like I talked about before. Sometimes, (coughs) excuse me. Sometimes um, we were the ones actually giving it out. Sometimes we were the ones receiving it. We've all either participated in those kinds of activities or at least witnessed them. And you know what? It felt good for about a half a second. And then when you got home, you wish, I, I, I wish I would have just kept my mouth shut. Or if you did keep your mouth shut, maybe you wish you would have spoken up. Because frankly, we all know it's wrong. And some of us have probably even had those wonderful experiences in life where people surprised us with their intelligence, with their ability, with their resources, with their kindness. And the reason why there was a surprise there is because we didn't expect it, because we categorized them into a particular whatever. We set the bar really, really low for them. Now, James uh, goes back and forth and he talks about how we shouldn't show favoritism and healthy faith doesn't show that. Healthy faith sees people the way that God sees them. But then he seems to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent when he begins to talk about mercy. And I I want you to understand that what I am not saying today is that you have to look past everything and kind of have rose rose tinted lenses So that you ignore stuff. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not what James is talking about with respect to mercy. You see, when it's all uh, said and done, mercy implies that sin is present. Mercy implies that there's some things that have been said and done that shouldn't have been said and done. But we give mercy because when there are things that we said and things that we did and God forgave us, we understand what it's like to be in that perspective, that awkward perspective of being the person who said something they shouldn't have said or done something they shouldn't have done. And yet God still loves us and forgives us and shows us that mercy. So we now having experienced that mercy now show it. And we say, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God still knows you. He still loves you. And he wants you to break away from those chains and get rid of all that junk that you think you're dragging around or that everybody else seems to just want to give you in that moment. Mercy, in order to give mercy, takes an enormous amount of courage. Because you're acknowledging, you and I, when we show that mercy, we're acknowledging that we too have been shown mercy. And we want that individual to know that God loves them more than they can possibly understand. God loves them so much that his son died for them. That's the significance there. That enables us to see them the way that God Sees them. The greatest part about granting mercy is that instead of judging people by what they they wear, how they live, what they have, what they've done, no matter how horrible it may have been, is that they are just, uh, just as able to meet and know the God who loves them and wants to show mercy to them. In acting mercifully, you are remembering what God has done for you And now what God can do for them. That's real faith. And it's healthy. And frankly, it's wonderfully refreshing. Real faith sees people the way that God uh, can see them. And secondly, lastly, people with healthy faith live what they believe. This is all anybody really, really wants to see because the assumption is this, that people with real faith don't live it. And if they do live it, it's only for a little while on Sunday. No, that's not who we are. That's most assuredly not who we are. It's not who we're trying to be. We want to be the person that God is pleased with on Wednesday morning and Friday night just as much as we think he's pleased with us on Sunday morning. And and James doesn't really pull any punches when it's all said and done about this either. He says, and, and and he places it down in the simplest of terms. He says, if you do not have actions that back up your faith, that demonstrate how you believe, then your faith is not weak. Your faith is not lame. Your faith is dead. It's non existent. And sometimes we tend to, we live in a world that tends to believe that faith only exists in this place during this hour. That's not who we are by any stretch. Having been shown that mercy, we can't, we just can't keep it in anymore. I, I tell you, I, I stand back there on Sunday mornings and I see you guys sing. You are not people who are satisfied to only sing on Sunday. You are not people who are satisfied to only talk about what Jesus has done on Sunday morning at 1030. That's not who you are. That's not what you know. You're people who look around and you see just how much God has done for you. And when given the opportunity, you can just say, dude, I hope you've got time to sit down and listen because I, I could just go on and on and on about how good God is. and Because of that, the things that I do, I'm not doing so people can say, well done right? We didn't, uh, those of us who ran and walked or, or, or worked at the 5K or helped facilitate the 5K, we didn't do that. So the people of Mansfield or Norton or uh, Easton or wherever would say, oh, great job. You guys did a great job. No, we did that because we love what God's done for us. And we want to see him, what he's done for us, that he does it for others as well. And so we're glad when we can partner with Birthright and we can make a difference And some, there, there are some women who are going to be blessed that you and I will never have met and may never meet. But that's not why we're doing it. God's been good to us. And so we get to be good to other people. We get to live what we believe. Because people who have healthy faith First and foremost, they see other people the way that God sees them. And people who have healthy faith, they have deeds that match what they believe. They live it out. Not perfectly, and not flawlessly, but more and more each day. Because no one ought to be known as gasoline man. No one ought to be known as a hopeless addict. No one ought to be known only as a prodigal child. Jesus died for us. And our names are Robert and Cheryl and Beth. Our names are Jay, names, was it Abby? Afi, he died for you, died for you. And because of that joy that we have, Steve, we get to live for him. This is who we are. This is how we live. God, thanks so much for loving us in spite of the foolish things that we've done. Lord, we can walk into church wearing the best clothes, but you know who we are. You know who we are in the darkness, and you still love us. Lord, you've forgiven us of things that we've said and things that we've done, and we are so grateful. We walk around in freedom. We live our lives in hope, and because of that, God, we pray that you will bless us not simply and only to be with you, but that you'll bless us when we come into contact with others and we love them the way that you love us, that we give them the hope that you've given us. We share the life that you've given us because that's what it means to be healthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.